We are so excited to announce that the second edition of Tamina Watson's book, The Startup Visa, Key to Job Growth and Economic Prosperity in America, is now out for order. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you get your books. You can do so by searching The Startup Visa Book or by finding Tamina Watson's author page on Amazon or online. That is spelled T-A-H-M-I-N-A-W-A-T-S-O-N. Thank you so much for your support and for tuning into this episode. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Tamina Watson, your host of Tamina Talks Immigration. Welcome. This summer, I decided to record a series called Legal Heroes in the Trump Era. I wanted to speak with some of the lawyers who have stepped up beyond their day jobs to make a difference in immigration, civil rights, and much more. I wanted their insights from their work in the last four years so we can learn lessons to take into the future, especially as one of the most consequential elections in America lies ahead. The interview series became a book called Legal Heroes in the Trump Era, The Inspired, Expand Your Impact, Change the World. The book can be found on Amazon and other outlets. I hope you will pick it up. Enjoy these interviews. I hope you'll learn a lot. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, podcast listeners. Be sure to tune in to Tamina Talks Immigration, where immigration attorney Tamina Watson discusses the latest on immigration news and issues. She talks to those who have impacted U.S. immigration laws and policies, as well as notable immigrants who have made great contributions. Check out Tamina Talks Immigration to also hear your questions be answered. Subscribe now for the latest on everything and anything immigration. The Legal Heroes series of interviews were conducted during the summer of 2020. This particular interview was recorded on June 10th. Please keep that in mind as you hear any topical references. Enjoy the show. Today we have an amazing guest. His name is Drew Caputo. He is the Vice President of Litigation at Earth Justice, which is an organization that protects wildlife, lands, and oceans in this country. Welcome, Drew. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Tamina. It's great to be here. Well, I'm so excited to speak with you because I have known about your work for a good year and a half, and I've been dying to speak with you. So this is just a wonderful opportunity. You know, a lot of my listeners are immigration um, nerds, if you like. They really follow immigration issues. And of course, we've had no shortage of that in the last three years. So it's a new area for my audience, Earth Justice's work and climate change and environmental work. And so I really would like you to give us some insight to the work you've been doing. But before we do that, I'd love for people to know a little bit about you. So where were you born and where where did you grow up? Uh, I'm an Easterner. I I live now in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, but I was born in New York City in the Bronx. My parents were an Italian-American guy and an Irish-American gal who met in Catholic school in the Bronx. And I grew up mostly in New Jersey, just outside of Philadelphia. But uh, I moved to California 20 years ago, and uh, I very much consider myself a Californian now. Well, that's wonderful. Whereabouts in New Jersey? My husband's from there, too. I grew up in Marlton, New Jersey, which is about 15 miles east of uh, Philadelphia. In oh, Jersey. 
Well, very, very close to my husband. He grew up in Morristown, which is close to Cherry Hill. So. <laughs> Marlton, Marlton is right next to Cherry Hill also. Oh, is it really? Oh, that's fab fabulous. Well, wonderful Well, we have that connection. Did you always want to be a lawyer? Well, I, I grew interested in the law when I was in, before I went to college. And in, in all honesty, I was really affected by the civil rights movement. And in particular, the work that Thurgood Marshall and Constance Baker Motley did to use the law and the courts to make a America a better, fairer place by ending legal segregation and making the country better for all Americans, African-Americans most importantly, but for all Americans. And the lesson I took from that was that you can use the law to make America and the world a better, more just place. And that, that drove me toward the law. Well, that's a very, very good reason to, to become a lawyer using the law. And what did you think you would accomplish as a lawyer? Well, just what I said, that the law can level the playing field, give a voice to people and things like the environment, like wildlife that don't have a voice otherwise and that can't really operate in the political process. And that's what we try and do at Earth Justice, where our, our motto is that we exist because the earth needs a good lawyer. And that's what we try to do in our work. I love it. The earth needs a good lawyer. And that's very, very true. Tell us a little bit about your legal career up until present time. Uh, when I graduated uh, from law school, I went straight into public interest environmental work. My first job out of law school was working for the Sierra Club Legal Defense Fund, which uh, changed its name to Earth Justice in the mid-90s. And I worked at Earth Justice for three years. Then I moved to the Natural Resources Defense Council, NRDC, another public interest environmental organization. I was there for 13 years. And then I became a federal prosecutor. And uh, I prosecuted all types of crimes, including public corruption, national security, and criminal civil rights cases for eight years. And then about six years, I came back to the environmental movement and back to Earth Justice. You know, when you go to law school, it's, at least when you did, environmental law wasn't the biggest thing to do. How did you get into this area? It was a little bit of happenstance. I went to law school to be a public interest lawyer, but I was interested in a bunch of varieties of public interest law. I was interested in environmental law. I was interested in civil rights law. I was interested in civil liberties law. I was interested in the labor movement. And... My first summer of law school, between first and uh, second year, I got a job with the Sierra Club Legal Defense Fund in Denver, a place I had never been. And that was it for me. I love the fact that I could spend the week trying to protect these wild places. And then on the weekends, I could go up to the mountains and hike and camp uh, in the places that I was working to save during the week. And that was it for me. You know, I just got goosebumps because I've been to Denver and I've been to many of the places that you are have been protecting. Uh, is it Pikes Peak? I forget yeah. the name, the mountain. Yeah. Um, and I can totally envision that. It just got goosebumps. It's very, it's just wonderful to hear that. A lot of us were dismayed by the election of November 2016, of course. Another one is coming up. And a lot of us have been challenged in unprecedented ways. But that night of the election was a crucial moment for many of us, you, me, and other lawyers that will be part of this series. 
what changed for you in November 2016 when this president was elected? I, I remember sitting at my home on election night watching the election returns on television with my family. And as soon as it became clear that Donald Trump had won, I knew immediately that the environment was at risk. Trump did not hide his views about public health and environmental protections during the campaign. And I knew right away that we were going to be facing an existential threat to public health and environmental protection from Trump's election. And I say that in a completely uh, nonpartisan, nonpolitical way. I've been proud over my career to work with uh, Republicans and Democrats uh, in service of the environment. Earth Justice is an equal opportunity litigant. We sued the Obama administration many, many times. But the Trump administration's policies are uniquely damaging to the environment. And they have thrown in entirely with industry interests that achieve private economic gain by harming the environment. So I knew right away from the election that the environment and public health were at new and unique risk. And what steps did you take after that realization? Well, at Earth Justice, we had a plan for how we were planning to proceed. And the morning after the election, we sort of threw it into the waste paper basket and uh, we started planning again. We had a plan to get as much done in the last, uh, in the waning days of the Obama administration for the environment. We put in a plan for how we were going to operate during the first hundred days of the Trump administration. And then uh, we put a plan, a longer term plan in place for what we expected and turned out to be a significantly increased level of decisions that required us to go to court because they were illegal and bad policy for the environment. So among other things, I set up teams of lawyers, even before Trump took office, to litigate over decisions that we felt confident the Trump administration would take. And they did. Uh, and so we were able to go to court very quickly, sometimes the same day, uh, on some of these decisions because we had gotten ready to challenge those anti-environmental actions even before the new administration took them. You know, I want to take a moment to applaud you for that visionary step you took, because those weeks between the election and inauguration were absolutely crucial to get into position. And it sounds like you had done exactly that and you had put teams together and you had really taken the steps that were necessary to ensure that the fight that was to come, which was much bigger than anybody thought, you were in a position to handle. So kudos to that and thank you on behalf of the earth and all the people on it, because what happens in America really affects everybody in the world. So thank you for, for taking those steps and having that leadership that was required that actually people didn't potentially realize how important it was going to be. That's um, to say. Well, I, I think it's very important to, for people to recognize because honestly, those eight weeks really were very important and you utilize them well. So question that comes next is what are some of these legal challenges that you've been facing and fighting? And remember our, our audience perhaps doesn't have a good idea. So the 101 would be great. Yeah, so at Earth Justice, we have almost 150 lawyers working at Earth Justice and we work on the entire range of environmental issues. And we group our issues into sort of three broad issue areas, and I'll give you examples from each of the issue areas. 
First, because of the unique challenge to the entire world from the climate crisis, we are working hard to use the law and litigation to fight against dirty sources of energy and uh, fight on behalf of clean sources of energy as part of our climate and energy work. So for example, the Trump administration has dramatically increased efforts to develop oil and gas on public lands and in public waters, the lands and ocean waters that belong to all Americans, and that uh, the Trump administration has been trying to maximize the production of oil, gas, and coal in those areas. And so we have filed a series of lawsuits. We've won two of them just this past spring about oil and gas leasing in the Rocky Mountain West on public land that was done without adequate environmental analysis and adequate protections for wildlife. So that's one example of our work in the climate and energy sphere. The second sphere is what we call healthy communities, which is clean air, clean water, toxics protection, much of our environmental justice work for low-income communities and communities of color that are disproportionately affected by pollution. So uh, we recently won a case in the United States Supreme Court under the Clean Water Act, dealing with sewage pollution uh, that was being injected into the groundwater uh, and traveling from that to uh, the Pacific Ocean. So that sort of core air and water protection, which has at its center protecting public health, is a big part of our work. And then finally, the piece of our advocacy that I help to lead is our work to protect public lands, wildlife, and oceans. And an example of that litigation is one of the last things President Obama did in 2016 was to permanently protect most of the Arctic Ocean and some important uh, canyon habitat in the Atlantic Ocean from oil and gas development. And President Trump came into office in 2017, and he signed an executive order that purported to reverse President Obama's action. That was one of the actions that we knew President Trump would take even before he took office. So I set up a team of lawyers to prepare for that. So when Trump took that action to overturn the Arctic and Atlantic Ocean protections, we sued him within a few days. And last year, we won that lawsuit in the federal district court in Alaska, which had the effect of blocking the Trump administration's effort to expand oil and gas development in the Arctic, the Atlantic, and potentially in the Pacific Ocean. So those are all examples of work that we're doing across our three big issue areas and some specific cases that we've handled in recent years. That's amazing. I mean, the Arctic one particularly, uh, you know, all of these issues that you've described are not just for America, not just locally. What we have seen in the last two months is we're all connected. And if there were ever an example, COVID-19 is that, that if we don't protect one area, you know, another area will be affected. So thank you so much for that lovely summary that you've given us, because it gives us an insight to your work. And I think that is why it's so important. But I don't know if all of us who are not as attuned to the things that you've seen realize how important this really is. And do you have examples of why saving the Arctic is good for, let's say, Southeast Asia? You know, is that, is that a too simple a question or too stupid a question? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? No, I, un- I, I understand the question at all entirely. And it's a great question. I, the way I think about this and you rightly frame it in global terms, is that the world is facing two great crises that 
are a threat to humankind and all living beings on Earth. The first is the climate crisis, in which our planet is rapidly heating uh, in a way that is gonna that is already causing human misery and uh, threatening to wipe out wildlife species um, that don't have the ability to move because alternative habitat has been built up. So that's that's one of the global crises. The other is the, bio, the global biodiversity crisis in which there's been a dramatic acceleration in extinctions, but maybe even more seriously or, or similarly seriously, species that haven't yet gone extinct, the individual members of these animal populations are being cut in half uh, in the aggregate. All life on earth is able to live because of other life. We depend on other species including tiny species like insects for things like nutrient cycling and natural pest control and all sorts of other ecosystem services. And human beings have so dramatically changed the world that all of that stuff is at risk. So our goal at Earth Justice is to use the power of law to try and address those problems. And the, the frustrating thing is we know how to address them. For example, we know how to deal with the climate crisis, which is to move from old dirty sources of energy, like oil, gas, and coal, to cleaner, greener sources of energy like solar-powered energy and wind power. And that's the future, not just in terms of protecting the environment, but there are valuable jobs and valuable technologies in a 21st century clean energy economy. The nations that are on the forefront of that are not only going to benefit environmentally, they're going to benefit economically. So that's what we're trying to do in our work at Earth Justice. Well, again, I got goosebumps all over again. I mean, I, a part of my life I lived in Bangladesh and I, my, my father was from an area which was very close to the Sundarban, the wild, you know, the forest and the grove. And, you know, with incessant monsoon and all sorts of other uh, environmental issues, as well as man-made problems, I think there's going to be a factory there, some sort of coal factory potentially. And, you know, if you think about the Royal Bengal tigers that are already almost extinct, and so what you're saying is really resonating in many ways and making me think of things I haven't really thought about in the depth. And so I, I hope that will be the case for our listeners too. But, you know, I want to, before we go to lay people and listeners, I want to address what lawyers can do because we are in a time where the law really is our tool. And you have very effectively used it. And we have a lot of lawyers coming out of university or people who are trying to find ways to do more meaningful work. What would you say to lawyers who are looking to follow your footsteps or do something meaningful, not necessarily in environmental law, but anything? What would you say to them? Well, I think that the most important thing for someone who is coming out of school and deciding what career path to take is to have a really serious conversation with themselves about what's the most important thing for them. Uh, when I was in law school, there was a pretty well-trod career path from the school I went to, which was basically corporate law. Not for everybody, but for the majority of people. Big law firms in big cities. And I, I didn't want to do that because life is too short to spend 10 hours a day doing something that I didn't believe in. And I had already learned that I did my best work when I was working on something that I felt personally passionate. So having that conversation with yourself about what is the most important thing for me in terms of how I want to spend a plurality of my 
time. Uh, I think that that sort of self-conversation is really important. And if you're interested in doing something that's off the main path, for example, public interest law rather than corporate law that sort of is the gravitational pull at your law school, my experience has been that people who really pursued jobs that spoke to them, regardless of what the jobs were, uh, they have been uniformly satisfied with their careers and really felt like they've made a contribution, whatever that contribution is. Whereas folks who just sort of followed the stream without really thinking hard about what it is that they wanted to do with their lives, their careers have been a lot less satisfying. So I think that's the most important first step of the process, which is to be honest with yourself. And if the answer is maximizing my salary, then you should pursue a job that allows you to do that. But if the, the answer is different, which is that I wanna be able to use the law in a way that I feel good about, I think it's really important to go down that path. I think those are very wise words and I would echo that you know, simply from my own career. You know, I want to take that a little bit further and I really want to talk about activism. When the word activism is raised, you sort of think about the protesters who are on the streets today and, you know, all those centuries. But, you know, I, I feel there's been legal activism in unprecedented ways in the last three years. Would you agree? And if so, would you expand on that? What do you think about legal activism in the era of Trump? Well, I would, I would agree. I think there is uh, something called legal acti activism. And I think it's really important. But I also want to be clear that the type of direct ac activism, the citizen activism that we're seeing in America today in response to these appalling instances of racism and violence and brutality, I will claim to be a part of the activist movement as a, as a lawyer, but those folks who are putting themselves and their bodies on the line on the streets, and I wanna make really clear that I'm not comparing myself with them because those people are standing up with their bodies and their health uh, in a way that I have tremendous respect for. But uh, you also can use the law to make change. And uh, as I was saying earlier, I was inspired by Thurgood Marshall and Constance Baker Motley, who used a law to make change. And that's what I think is happening today. Part of it is a real recognition that the rule of law is at risk, given some of the policies and agendas that are be being pursued here in America and as I read the newspaper elsewhere in the world. And these things that we hold that we cherish, things like democracy and the rule of law, they require tending and defending and supporting. So standing up in court is an act of activism to protect the thing you're trying to protect as well as to stand up for the rule of law. Very beautifully said, and I'm gonna to have to quote you on that because I think there's a role for lawyers to play in, in the months and years to come. And that brings me to, you know, one of my last questions. For lawyers, we have to play an important role and we recognize that the rule of law is at risk. And more so perhaps as we see right this moment, you know, you and I had scheduled to speak a while ago, but in this time we have seen the country, uh, just as you've mentioned, step up and essentially say, this is our country. You know, it's a, it's a people's movement. But lawyers do have a role to play. What would you advise uh, uh, us, all of us, uh, to do in the next few months? Because they are critical. And 
maybe the next four years and who knows what would you say in your visionary way what are the steps we should take for, for lawyers specifically yes yeah well i think taking seriously and in a, a very volitional way lawyer attorneys obligations to give back to the community uh, through meaningful pro bono work is i think very important we are seeing through the horrible things that are happening today in the area of racism and violence, how racism is a stain on America. And there are tremendous opportunities for attorneys to stand up against that kind of institutionalized and systematic racism. And attorneys can do that from a pro bono standpoint or can orient their careers that way. Uh, one of the things that I like about the law is that it offers uh, some flexible opportunities for people to contribute and give back. There are lots of important issues out there from civil rights and civil liberties to the environment, many other important issues, poverty uh, protection, and there are incredibly worthy groups that use the law to make progress on all those things, and people can spend all or portions of a career in that direction. For folks who are in private practice, pro bono opportunities are critical. And being an, an active and informed uh, citizen participant and voter, these are critical for all of us, whether we're lawyers or non-lawyers. Thank you. Very important for people to hear that from you. It's been an absolute honor to speak with you and hear your story and all the work that you've been doing. Thank you for taking time for being on this show, Tamina Talks Immigration. And I hope we can stay connected and help collaborate in the world that we're about to enter and the world that's going to be for our future and our children. Uh, we're all working towards a better world and I commend you for everything you've done. So thank you for being here. Well, thank you for your generosity, Tamita, and in inviting me. And it's a pleasure uh, to talk with you and to be able to talk with your audience about the work of, uh, of Earth Justice. If you're interested in what we do, I encourage people to take a look at our website at earthjustice.org. We are a group of people who use the law to make America and the world a cleaner, greener, more just place. And if you're interested in what we do, I hope you'll consider joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Tamina Talks is brought to you by Watson Immigration Law. Founded in 2009, Watson Immigration Law is one of Seattle's premier immigration firms, specializing in business and investment visas, but offering a wide range of immigration services. If you need assistance with your immigration needs, Watson Immigration Law is ready to help. Just call 206-292-5237 to schedule an appointment. Mention this podcast to receive a 10% discount off your initial consultation fee. Today's episode was produced and edited by Nicole Lockett.